Well, hello, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to share with you stories that empower you to do, to be, to achieve, and to impact more through your life. Maybe more simply said, Live Inspired. After today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com with your feedback, maybe your guest suggestions for future shows, stories on how this podcast has helped you live more inspired, or questions that you have for me. Again, send that email to me at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com. And now, let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. On January 19, 2015, 14-year-old John Smith and two of his friends were playing right here in St. Louis, Missouri on some frozen ice. That day, the ice broke through, their feet slipped into the water, and they plummeted down into the brutally cold water. The other two boys were able to escape from the water, but John Smith fell below that ice and then eventually spent more than 15 minutes trapped below the ice. He then went on to spend more than one hour without breathing. His unbelievable story was turned into the wildly successful full feature film titled Breakthrough. My friends, do you struggle making sense of your suffering? Have you lost your personal faith? Have you stopped believing in miracles? Today, you are going to be challenged to believe again and to grasp onto the truth that your best, regardless of what you face today, remains in front of you. I want you right now sincerely to buckle up. You'll need it this time. Open wide your minds, your hearts, grab your journals, prepare to take notes as we bring on in an amazing, amazing young man. His name is John Smith. John Smith, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Oh, thank you for having me. I mentioned to you this uh, before we started recording, but I have never been as excited to have someone in studio as I am to have you to be seated across from you and to know without a doubt that miracles still happen. And uh, I have a living example, Exhibit A, in front of me right now. So, John Smith, welcome, man. Oh, thank you for having me. It's truly an honor to be here. For those who uh, haven't yet seen the movie, see it. For those who haven't yet read the book, read it. And for those who somehow missed my introduction, listen again. But John Smith, tell us what you're doing today. You know, I am out promoting breakthrough. I am out living a great life, and I am just blessed to be alive. And I'm getting ready to leave for college, so just a big step coming up. Where are you going? I'm going to North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota to study to become a pastor. I have a feeling we're going to learn a little bit more about why you feel called to be a pastor. Did you, did you feel that calling before January 19th? I did, I did not. I was actually not serving any God. I was just doing my own thing. I had fallen away from the Lord and was just going through my own path. Are you looking forward to leaving home or are you uh, feeling some anxiety around it? I have 
grown up in St. Louis my whole life. My dad actually worked for the Cardinals, and so I've just been a St. Louis boy, so I'm definitely going to miss here, but I've got all my posters and flags of all our championships ready for my dorm, and <laughs> I won't turn into a Twins fan, I can promise you that. Well, I look forward to you converting some lives, in particular some <laughs> lives to the, the Cardinal Nation and the Blues way, man. So uh, we, we need more people wearing red and blue, not only in St. Louis, but beyond. Mm-hmm. You originally weren't from St. Louis. Let's, let's talk about your Genesis story. Where were you born? So I was adopted from Mexico City, Guatemala. It's outside of Guatemala City um, at five months old. I was adopted by Brian and Joy Smith, who have now resided in St. Charles, Missouri for the past 18 years, ever since they got me. And, you know, I, I know my mom's name. Her name is Lowenda, but I do not know anything other than that. There is a rumor that I have uh, possibly two older brothers. Um, they'd be in their early 20s now. I'd still be the baby, um, just like I am now with my adopted brothers. But that is as far as I know. And, you know, growing up, you know, being of different color uh, in a very white area yeah. of St. Charles County, um, it was hard. It was very difficult, you know, to grow up um, going to a prep school, you know, being one of the only colored people in there. Yeah. And so I, I struggled with that. I struggled with wondering, you know, why me, you know, why am I this color? Why am I this size? Why am I, you know, why am I all this? And, you know, just growing up, I had that issue of the orphan spirit. Mm. And, you know, I was angry. I was angry at my mom, my birth mom, my birth dad. I was even angry at my adopted parents, you know, wondering why, why did you bring me here? And, you know, it took me a long, long time to figure out my purpose and my calling on this earth. Do you have desires to meet your brothers and to meet your birth mom? You, you know, I, I it took me a long time to forgive her, and we can get into that in a little bit. That is a very, very long and difficult story. But to answer your question, yes, I do want to meet my brothers. I do. I have a lot of questions of, you know, where I get my looks from. You know, who do I look Good like? Good looks, by the way, audience. <laughs> I'll have pictures of them online, but you're going to want to check out this man, John Smith. He's a good-looking guy. <laughs> Thank so you, you got your good looks from your mother and father, but you haven't met them yet. I, I just have a lot of questions for them. And, you know, if they want to meet me, I would love that. But if they don't, in my mind, I had tried. I had made an effort to find them. And, you know, if we can eventually meet each other and build a relationship, that would be wonderful. So let's talk about going to school. You, uh, you look different than many of your colleagues, many of your students. When did you begin to recognize as a kid that you were different? You know, I, I never really understood color because my family was all white and because I think in my mind I pictured myself as white. So going to school and kind of getting made fun of for being brown and being um, a Latino or Hispanic descent, that's what made it more difficult was that I didn't understand what they meant. So, you know, I was getting, you know, teased about, you know, being tanner than the other people and mm-hmm. being of darker complexion and, you know, me being a little bit short that was another thing because I didn't understand anything. You know, my dad was 6'3", and I didn't really understand genetics at that point. So, you know, I just dreamed of being his size, but in reality, I'm quite a bit shorter. Um, but it, it just took took me a while to understand. But the when the bullying set in and I went home crying, my mom kind of explained everything to me. At what age? And I understand probably around 7 or 8. How did you feel the first time you found out that your mother and your father weren't the mother and father who brought you into this earth? You know, I never really had a problem with that because I knew that I was extremely blessed. Despoiled, even, I might add. You know, I was very blessed to have um, Brian and Joy Smith be my parents. 
my dad sacrificed a ton for me. My mom did as well. And, you know, I re never really had a problem with it. My problem with the adoption process is why didn't my birth mom even want me to begin with? And that's really what hit me hard growing up. You continue to be hit hard by that throughout your childhood into your adolescence. You're, you're an ordinary St. Louis County kid on January 19th, 2015. Just ordinary, man. You're 14 years old. Is that right? Yes. Uh, lake St. Louis, for those who aren't from this region, it's a beautiful neighborhood. There's a wonderful lake there. People boat on it in the summertime. And if the lake freezes enough, people play on it in the wintertime. It's rare, but they do. You and a couple buddies are out there playing on it. Yes. Just take us forward from that. You know, we, it was, you know how St. Louis is. It can be sunny and blue skies and 70 degrees. And then in the next 10 minutes, it's green and there's a tornado coming down on the, I mean, that's just how it is here. And you know, that's how it was back then. You know, it, we had had that really, really cold span of mm -hmm. just 20 degree weather and the ice, the lake had frozen over. But it had started getting hotter. You know, it was getting in the 60s, 70s. And, you know, we were just out there having fun on January 19th. And I got a phone call from my mom. You know, a little fun fact about me. I may be short, but I love the game of basketball. Um, I played. <laughs> I've heard you can ball, man. I, I love the game. I coach now. Um, I had too many injuries, but that's just what I love to do at the time. And my mom asked me if I wanted to go to the gym, and I said, of course. And she said, I love you. I said, I love you too. Eight seconds later from that point, we hung up. All three of us fell through the ice. The water, I think, was about 40 degrees. Um, one boy fell close to the dock and was able to self-rescue. Me and the other boy were about 25 to 50 feet out from shore. There was no way we could get back because there was so much ice in between us. We just couldn't break that much. Right. You know, and we were screaming, call 911. Um, uh, one of the boy's sisters was there to fortunately call 911 as well as the manager of the facility we were at. And, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, what's going through your mind? And it's cliche, but it honestly was life flashing before my eyes. I don't know how it was, you know, for you, but for me, I just really was... I had watched, you watch movies as a kid growing up mm -hmm. of these situations, of people being in hard situations. And, you know, it's a film, but in that moment you're going, you know, what do you do other than you're helpless? And we all realized that we were going to die. Yeah. And by this time, they had gotten the second boy out and I had drowned. They have a saying in the medical field that if you're underwater for a minute, there's a 99% chance that you won't make it. Just a minute. By this time, I had been underwater for seven to eight minutes. The clock's ticking, and there's a local firefighter up in um, Wentzville. His name is Tommy Shine, and he comes out to find me. Now, just a little spoiler in the film, he is portrayed <laughs> as Mike Coulter, who is a, I call him a very lovely dark chocolate male. He is a good-looking man. He is an awesome man. I love Mike Coulter. But Tommy is a, a little whiter. Um, Tommy <laughs> is definitely white, and I love Tommy. Tommy Shine is just an amazing dude and is kind of a big brother to me. But he comes out and he has a pike pole, which is a long pole with the big hook at the end. And is he in the water or do they fish around? He is in the water. He has oh, he has a yellow suit on, which is called a just it's basically a swimsuit to help you float, so you don't you know you're not out there by yourself. It's to mm -hmm. help with the cold water as well. Um, he's breaking protocol already. He when 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 they got the call, Tommy Shine is one of those heroes. You know, the ones that isn't afraid to do anything. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about the person he has to save. And so before the truck even stopped, he was out coming to get on, out on that water for me. And he was breaking protocol, actually. He asked the local captain there, he said, do you have a rope for me? Because they're supposed to tie a rope around him in case he gets in trouble. Well, they didn't. And he said, all right, I'm going. It doesn't matter. I'm going. And he's out there. He's looking for me. And he hears a voice saying, go two feet to his left. 
So he does. He, he had already actually checked that area. He sticks the pike bowl down wondering, I, I got to pull something up. By now, it has been 14 minutes and 30 seconds I had been underwater. And he's like, I, it could be a tire. It could be a number of things. But he got me. By now, I'd been underwater for 15 minutes on the dot. They rush me to shore. They do everything they can. They rush me to the local hospital where they work for over an hour to bring me back to life. They do everything medically and scientifically possible. The, doctor that, the doctors that were actually treating me through this whole process were world-renowned. You know, these weren't no just regular Joes that, you know, mm-hmm. work at a local hospital. These are world-renowned doctors. And they have no explanation. But they did say this. When my mom walked in, not just the atmosphere in the room changed, but the physical temperature in the room changed. And they said when she prayed for me, now keep in mind, my mom didn't know I was even dead. Like she had no idea. They had not really told her. They really told her, hey, you can go talk to your son. She walks up to my feet and she prays, Holy Spirit, give me back my boy. Please do not take my boy. Not a minute later, not five minutes later, that moment, every apparatus on me turned on. 16 days later from that day, I walked out completely fine, no medical issues. They have actually searched for three years to find a case even similar. And the only one they found was a woman whose head was submerged underwater and her she was only 80% healed, where my whole body was submerged for a much longer period of time and I'm 100% healed. There is so much there that I'm going to demand we go back through and tell that story again and unpack some of the details. Because I think when you hear a story as shocking as the one you just breezed us through, it's easy to miss the grandeur of the details. Just, uh, I'm easily moved, but not to tears in a movie theater. And dude, I was weeping like a baby and intense. And then looking to my left and I got a seven-year-old girl and she's over there crying. And I have a tough Germanic wife by birthright who is over there wiping her tears. (laughs) My mother saw it and she called me right afterwards saying, John, you need to see this movie tomorrow. Uh, I waited a couple more days than that only because I had to. But my mother, who is very, very, very tough, was stirred wildly by this true story. So we're going to go back through it one more time. You fall through the ice. You help your your friend, this, this guy that you loved, out of the water. You help, in some regards, save his life. Do you remember what it felt like to be in the water? You know, it it's that fight or flight instinct. It's that shock. Because the water is so cold, you really don't expect it. And, you know, for me, it was just that shock of it's cold and, you know, we're we're in fight or flight. We either fight or we're going to die. And that's what we were doing. You know, we were trying to get on ice just to stay afloat, but we everything we, you know, would grab onto, it would break. So we were just repeating that constantly. And were you ev- in physical pain? Yes, because we every time we'd grab onto the ice, it would cut our skin. It would comp- you said you, you still have scars? Yeah, I have this? scars all on my side, a couple on my neck. Um, there's a couple on here, but they've kind of faded. But if you look, if I'm in the right light. So you're cutting yourself as you're reaching forward. The water's frigid. When do you become scared? You know, when I, I become scared when I start losing feeling in my muscles and in, in my arms. And, you know, that moment when you're realizing I can't fight anymore. I'm aware of what's going on, but I can't fight anymore. That was really the point for me where I go, what do I do? So, John, what, what do you do? I, I, I honestly have never been there to a moment in my life where I recognize I can't do this. You, you got to the point where you literally cannot swim. Mm-hmm. You can't reach up. Your arms are bleeding. The water is freezing. Can't do this. You can't fight. What, what happens then? You really just, you and start inhaling water and eventually you're gone. And, you know, 
I remember more, this is the most real I've been, I'll just tell you this, this is the most real I've been on an interview with you. This is more than anybody else knows. Um, but it's, you, you really don't know, you know, you're just, you're helpless. And you know, that feeling like everything you have is gone, really, in that moment, it's over. When, when you come to that point as a young man, you're 14 years old, man, you're a baby at that point. How, do, how does that even hit you when you recognize it's fading and, uh, and I'm dying here? You know, I mean, you think about your family. In that moment, I really honestly did think about my parents and my brothers. You know, I, I have a great family, a great group around me. And, you know, I think about their love and their support. And, you know, in that moment, you know, I'm thinking about my mom. And, you know, I'm thinking about my dad and I'm thinking about my brothers. And, you know, finally I realized in my mind I said I love you. And goodbye. Well, man, you said those words right before the ice broke. And I think even if you had passed away, the gift that you gave your mother, and I know it's a lesson that you're trying to teach even through your life of, of reminding those that you love that you love them, not, not missing the moments to say thank you and I love you and I'm grateful for you. Um, the, the miracle that a phone is working on the ice and that one of the restaurant managers happens, to, you know, happens, we keep putting these things in finger quotes, happens to be looking out the window when you fall through and calls 911 and the quick response, and they have a water rescue unit who the day before, by my understanding, was out there practicing this exact thing. Yep. Come on, man. Yep. So, you you look at this all chronologically. I mean, you just look at it. it nothing took God by surprise. In my mind, th th this, there's a timeline. There really is. And it didn't start at the time of, you know, Brian and Joyce Smith adopting me. It started all the way back when my mom gave birth to me. And you look at that miracle, right. you know, the miracle of adoption, the miracle of a praying mother. And then you get to January 19th where you see all these things lined up. Dr. Kent Sutter wasn't supposed to be my doctor. I was too small. He was, I was, I mean, I was mm -hmm. too, you know, I was supposed to be with a different doctor. You know, it just happened that Dr. Jeremy Garrett left California to come back to the Midwest only because he could pray for his patients here in St. Louis. You know, it didn't just happen, you know, that I, wa I woke up on the third day, seven days later, they took my vent out seven days later, they took something else out 40 days from that day, I was released from all medical doctors. I mean, you look at these timelines, it is all God-based. And you know, the cool thing I think about this story is that, yes, God is the center of it, and he will remain to be the center of it. But we, a lot of miracles, there's so many skeptics. This miracle, you look at the timeline and God's doing, but also we have science to back it up complete just complete science no doctor can you know deny any of this I, i've my girlfriend's dad is a is a psychiatrist and he was speaking at i was speaking at one of his breakfasts with a million doctors in there and i told the story and a lot of them came up to me after and he said i've i'm retired i'm still working and i've had a reason for every case i've had but you there's simply none and that's what i really think is amazing about this story the gentleman looking for you in the water practicing the exact same thing the day before he spends seven or eight minutes in the water and uh, they recognize at that point that it's not a, a they're not saving a life it's recovery and yet he hears this voice from his captain saying go back two feet very clearly go back a couple feet and almost specifically to the point he listens to that voice he finds you he pulls you out it's a there's a gift in that but there's even a more shocking gift that it wasn't the captain who was suggesting that to him can you just share that moment with us? Like what, what, what was going on there for him? 
you know, he, he, he's obviously a professional in rescuing and, you know, he thought it was his captain and, you know, he went back and like, like it's portrayed in the film, but he realized that it wasn't when everyone denied it and he got made fun of for it. He really did. He got a lot of heat for, you know, saying that there is an audible voice out there, that there is a God because they see so much bad with, yeah. within their day, their line of work that, you know, they can't believe some of the things that they get to see. And, you know, he really had trouble with that and he really stuck with it though. And he really believes that it was God telling him to, where to find me. And he just simply, he has no explanation. I mean, he's been in this field forever and he just has no explanation. But I think the cool thing through all of this, and well, not a cool thing, I think it's an amazing thing, is that, you know, he gave his life to the Lord about a little over six months ago. And, you know, you look at, when I met Tommy, he was broken. But the Tommy I see now is stronger in a lot more areas of his relationships and his faith. Mm. How long from the moment you fell into that water and then went submerged beneath the water until your mother came into the emergency room? Um, so I was underwater for 15 minutes and without an pulse for an additional 45. Um, they clocked it that I was dead for about an hour and eight minutes. So mom walks in. It's been an hour and eight minutes since her baby boy had breath. Oh, man, she raised you. Mm-hmm. I think it's one thing when you have a baby, you kind of got to love them. They're looking <laughs> up at you and it's like, oh, you know what? You're kind of ugly, but I'm going to love you anyway. <laughs> she chose you. Mm-hmm. And then she chose to be up with you during the difficult days of a five-month-old. Yeah. And then a six-month-old. And then the pain in the neck of a child re- re- rebelling, you know, ages 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way to 14. She's your mom by choice. And then she walks into this room 25 or so professionals. I've been in that room before. I've worked as a chaplain in a, at a children's center for three years. It's an ugly room to be in. It's messy, it's loud, and it's full of desperation. And at the end of that hour, which they were at, everyone in that room knows what's already happened. It happened 45 minutes earlier. They, there's no reason for hope anymore. Your mother walks in, she grabs your cold, lifeless gray feet. Uh, you're dead. What does she say? You know, going back a little bit, my mom was just doing a Bible study on believing God. And every morning they'd say, I believe God is who he say he is. I believe God can do what he says he can do. I believe in God. And so my mom was preparing for this moment. You know, she actually that morning read a Bible study about what do you do in your times of crisis? Are you going to believe in God or are you just going to feel sorry for yourself? And, you know, this was all preparation. All Like we were saying, all God's timing, you know, just perfect timing. And when she put down that phone of what do you do in your times of crisis, the phone rang about my accident. So she's praying, you know, and she walks in with just complete faith. And if you know my mom, you know that her faith is the thing that she takes the most pride in, is God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's loved God all her life. She actually, well, not all her life. She has a, an amazing testimony herself. Mm. You know, she um, got pregnant at 19 um, to a man that was not good for her. She actually told her mom, saying, I will walk over the hot coals of hell to be with him. And God, that's exactly what God let her do. You know, the, her whole life, you know, she dealt with the guilt of putting her first son up for adoption, my older brother, Joe. And my mom would tell you that she never expect God to come in full circle and give her back the ministry that she left all the way back then to start now at 68 years old. And that's just what my mom did. Is it was just, she was so strong in her faith, always in Bible study, preparing for these moments of having a strong faith. And she just walks into my room and she was just believing God, just saying, Holy Spirit, just give me back my boy. You gave him to me 17, 15 years ago. Mm. You gave this gift to me and my family. 
Satan will not take him from us. And that moment I had a pulse. So that night, uh, the night I was burned and given a very similar prognosis to the one you received and your mother received on your behalf, death. There's no reason for hope. There was a gentleman who approached my dad and said, Denny, what do you want us to pray for in this thing? Because even if you survive day one or survive the drowning, the reality with many events like the one you went through and the one I went through is surviving may not be enough because the life that this child has afterwards may be more difficult than, than death. When you are underwater 15 minutes, when you are without breath for an hour eight, when you are burned, in my case, on 100% of your body, what are we praying for? So th this, that's the question my dad was asked by a gentleman and his response was, I want my son back. I want my son back. Well, the night you went through the ice, we here in our community heard about your event and we heard that breath returned to your lungs, but many of us struggled with that same thing. Like, what should we hope happens here? Because a child who goes an hour and eight minutes without breath will have very little life once, uh, once they fully awake because they never will fully awake again. I think one of the great miracles, John Smith, in your life is that you are seated across from me in a good looking red shirt, khaki pants, tennis shoes, smile on your face. 100% healed. Shocking, man. It's, I, I cannot believe it. I mm -hmm. cannot believe it. Um, what do you attribute that to? You know, I just give all glory to God. And, you know, one thing that I've really been blessed with is a lot of great men in my life to, you know, kind of guide me and lead me, you know, through these times because being 18 and being in the spotlight can be challenging. Um, well, I'm 19 now, but, you know, it, it was hard because I went from being, like you said, a kid out of St. Charles County out of a billion people on this earth to being put on a spotlight because of the story. But Devon Franklin, the movie producer, Breakthrough, he, he pulled me aside and he said, John, there's going to be a lot of press. You're going to find out who your fake friends are and who your real friends are. You're going to find out a lot about yourself these next coming years. But I want you to remember this. I want you to remember to stay humble and stay hungry. Mm. Staying humble to remember where you came from. I'm just a St. Louis kid. I'm nothing special. I, I love St. Louis. This is home. That's who I am. Staying humble and remembering where you are. Staying hungry and chasing after what God has for you. and But remembering who you are within that. Don't, don't, I mean, and just never getting a big head of myself. You know, that, that, that's one thing that I've always wanted never to do is that this story isn't about me. It's not about my mom. It's not about God. We are all tools to, to show the bigger picture, and that's him and his glory. Were you always this articulate? My dad worked for KSDK um, and Bush Stadium. He worked everywhere. And so I grew up in the newsroom. I grew up, you know, Kay Quinn is a good friend of mine. And so I've always, and dad used to mic me up because he was a cameraman and I'd have to say lines and he'd put me on the phone with his older friends to have conversations with. So I got a little, give a lot of credit to my dad for the way I talk. Um, so just way. to remind our listeners, uh, this dude may have had a little bit of media training, <laughs> but he's 19. Okay. He's 19. Place yourself back 50 years for some of you listeners on how you were answering questions live how you were on the big shows, how you would handle all this attention that has come your way. When you come home from hospital, eventually you come home to uh, life. Yeah. Put on the shoes, you're going back to school. What's it like to return to school a miracle boy? You know, the first couple of weeks, it was great. The weeks after that, it was definitely challenging because you're, you, you are made false accusations by the fame that you have received. Um, what I mean is that I received a lot of news 
attention. You know, okay, everyone wanted to do a story. Good Morning America grabbed yeah. it. You know, I've been to, I went to California for a couple events. You know, they took that as in I'm getting money by doing these. Well, the case is I'm not getting any money. I'm not, I'm not really doing anything. I'm just sharing God's testimony. And, you know, it was hard, you know, people saying that, you know, I'm doing it for the money. I'm getting sponsored by these brands. That is just not true. It's just not, it never happened ever. Mm-hmm. But like Devon said, you know, I found out who my real friends were. I, I left my old life behind, the kid that knew everybody and was at every party and was just a terrible kid, to being someone to better myself. You know, I really isolated myself after this accident because I knew that I had to change the way I was doing things because it wasn't going to benefit me at all. Mm. And, you know, it was a hard process because I really believe the game of basketball was a good outlet uh, outlet God gave me to kind of isolate myself and, you know, focus more on him. But eventually that isolation turned into basketball becoming my idol. And, you know, I really abused the game. Um, I lost all track of God. And then I went down this dark path, you know. But after the accident, you know, I still wasn't serving the Lord, you know, even then. I, I had had all this attention, but I was still just angry. You know, I knew I was doing it for God, but I wasn't doing it for the right reasons for God, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew there was a God and I knew that he had saved my life. But then again, I was the kid that knew, but I still wanted to do my own thing. And I just struggled with that until finally, you know, everything was crumbling down. You know, even though I was isolating myself, my friends, you know, were still coming at me. You know, my basketball career wasn't going where I wanted it to go. All these different things until finally I got on my knees one night in my room. It's one of those nights you just can't sleep, but you feel like there's a presence in your room. And I don't know why, but there was just this blue light in my room. It was it was really weird. It was just like a bluish, like not like bright, bright, but just covering the room. And I got on my knees, and my room was actually clean for once. And I just said— well, there, there are miracles, people. If, not, <laughs> if you don't believe yet, you should right now. Go ahead, John Smith. And I, I just got on my knees, and I said, Okay, God, whatever you have for me, I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities for you. Mm. And, you know, after that, it has just been a whirlwind. I should have told God about the pace of everything happening because it's been a little busy. But, you know, it has taught me a lot. It's made me a better person, and I'm extremely blessed to be a part of Breakthrough. And sometimes it takes a while for scars to heal. Mm -hmm. You haven't had a whole lot of time to even make sense out of coming back through the ice. You know, like it's been such a sprint that— have you been able to catch your breath long enough to make sense of this yourself? You know, you're right. It has been a world one. You know, I came out of the hospital and I haven't stopped, you know, until recently. This last month of May is the first month I actually stopped. And, you know, there have been a lot of challenging times um, more recently than I'd like to say. But reflecting on, you know, what has all happened to me, you know, I have been very blessed by a lot of people humbling me. Um, and I think that is a great gift to have no matter who you are. And, you know, reflecting on everything that happened to me, it, it is truly a miracle. You know, sometimes I, I would forget because I've said the same thing so many times. I've been, I've watched the same thing so many times. So it's, it's hard to realize that that is me. But, you know, watching the film and getting to sit down and, you know, just reflect on everything that had happened uh, through that film. And, you know, just seeing, you know, what Marcel went through you know, portraying me, what my parents went through. That really put in perspective in me of going, wow, seeing the community come together, seeing, you know, my parents coming together, seeing, you know, my family, the church, the school, that really, you know, they were all praying for me. 
And it, it's just amazing to see, you know, God work through all this. And, you know, eventually, you know, me being fully healed. Mm. It, it really was amazing. But, you know, just reflecting on it, you know, I'm extremely grateful for my life. I know that me and your our, our jobs are not done yet. We still have a lot more people to influence. And, you know, there are going to be challenges. But, you know, with God on our side, we can definitely tackle it. Do you feel worthy of surviving? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to layer that question with, <sighs> there are thousands of children every year coming into emergency rooms who are lovely kids, who have beautiful parents. Some of them have deep faith, others have no faith. And yet frequently in the foxholes of life, we all turn to some faith. We all, we all say, please, you know, whoever is out there, listen to me, give me back my child. And usually, the re- not usually, frequently the answer is silence, it seems. It's hard to make sense of that. And yet yours was not silence. It was this immediate heartbeat and then a perfect return to health, unbelievably. And then into a Hollywood feature film and then into the opportunity to influence lives through your own today, healthy, good-looking guy, great opportunities in front of you. Your life was given to you. And so many others don't get that same opportunity. So that's where this question comes from. Like, do do you feel somehow worthy of this? No. So how do do you make sense of that? Like, why you and why not the so many others? You know, I ask that question a lot. You know, I mean, there's how many countries in the world? There's how many states in our country? There's how many cities? You know, I I replay that in my mind all the time, you know, going, why me, God? You know, why just some kid out of St. Charles, Missouri? Yeah. You know, there's so many other more qualified people. I call my uh, girlfriend's dad, dad all the time. But, you know, he, he said this great thing. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And, you know, I really had to just keep replaying that in my mind is because even though I'm not perfect, I'm nowhere near perfect. And yes, there are a lot of people dying. God chose me for a reason. Even though I may not see it, I still have to stay hungry for it. You know, one thing is, is that there was that speech by Matthew McConaughey saying, who's your hero? And it's him in 10 years. That's how I like to see it is that I need to keep pushing to be a better person. So me in 10 years, is it going to be better than what I am now? I I pray it is. I hope it is. I want it to be, but I got to keep striving to be better, a better person, a better leader, you know, a better future um, husband, a better future dad, that sort of thing. I'm not qualified. I know I'm not. I never will be. I'm not perfect. No one is. But I do realize that there is a calling on my life. And even though I may not understand it now, I just got to keep seeking after the Lord Mm. and hoping to get answers. And I hope when you say that, everyone listening feels that same sentence in their own life. Like none of us are qualified, but you're called. So uh, let's say yes and let's move forward together. You have now been part of a movie that has touched millions and millions of lives. You've heard thousands and thousands of stories. You heard mine. You heard the impact that you had on my family and on my mother and on my children. Is there a story though that comes to mind where you're like, John, man, I one time met this one guy, this one lady, and she shared this and it just blew me away. I can't believe our story, this movie, this process has done this for someone else. You know, I get a lot of just Instagram direct messages. I get a lot of Facebook messages. I get I get to meet kids at youth conferences and youth conventions. I've been everywhere. But, you know, there every youth convention I go to, there seems to be one kid that just stands out. And I just one. And, you know, for me, it's it's the ones that, I don't want to say that it's it, 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 it's a hard life, and that's what they're mm-hmm. going through. You know, getting to witness to that hard life, you know, getting to be an influence to them. 
there are just terrible like stories after stories of just horrific things that they've gone through. But the one thing that they've always told me is that, how do you deal with it, John? How did you deal with it? And, you know, getting to say prayer in Christ and then their eyes widening going, but I've tried that too. But your faith has inspired me to keep going for that. That's really what hits me is that I'm inspiring these kids to not only pray, but seek the Lord as well and strengthening their faith somehow, you know, and I don't, I don't even feel like I'm doing mm-hmm. much. I'm just sharing my story, but them getting to hear it and them saying, you inspired me to seek after God even more. And like you said, I don't even feel qualified to be doing it. But one thing, my pa- my pastor, uh, Jason Noble, who's, and you know, he's a big part of the film. He says is that by the time he dies, he wants to know how many people he took to heaven with him. And that's his goal. And, you know, that's really what I want to see with my life is how many people can I influence to take to heaven with me? Let's talk about a few of those people right now. Your birth mother. What would you like to say to your birth mother? If she happened in Guatemala today, they'd be hearing your voice. What would you want to say to her right now? You know, mom, thank you, you know, for giving me a chance of life, you know, giving me a chance to be who I am, giving me a chance to be an inspiration to so many. Without you giving birth to me, this wouldn't be possible. So thank you for everything. What would you like to say to one of my favorite characters of any book, any story, any movie of all time, your mother, the one who raised you? You know, mom, I love you. I mean, you have done so much for me. We butt heads only because we're the same person, but (laughs) you're my best friend and I love you. Well, John, you are an amazing person because your mother is epic. What would you want to say to the first responders? Oh, I love those guys. You know, you're all family and you know, if you need me, I'm there. And if I need you, you're there. And we thank you for your time and your service and the sacrifice, not only for us, but to your families. And we just love you and we appreciate you. What about the medical community that worked for an hour with no reason for continuation of it? You know, they, they just, they, I can't thank them enough for not giving up on me. For, for fighting for my life alongside with me and, you know, just realizing that God had the hand. And, you know, one thing I'd love to say to the two doctors that really had a big, big play in this is that, you know, there aren't words really to show my gratitude towards you. But without your knowledge and you sacrificing your time from your families and from your spouses kids like me wouldn't have a chance to even breathe or talk. So thank you. What about someone right now listening to this, just struggling at home in health at work financially with a a father wound or a mother wound or whatever it may be, because the majority of us have something we're carrying. What would you want someone listening right now? Who's just in the midst of a storm to hear from you? You know, every storm has to end, you know, and one thing that I, I like to, tell people and my pastor does is that build your foundation on God because you can't build your foundation during the storm. You have to build it before the storm. So just continuing to seek him, build up that prayer, you know, that prayer wall, that prayer room, you know, continue to be in his word, continue to fight, you know, for him, because I promise you that he will show up. It may not be that moment. It may not be what you want, But trust me, it'll be what God wants. And I think that's what we have a tendency to forget. When I'm introduced to audiences, they almost always, the last things out of the MC's mouth are, 
John O'Leary, expected to die, now teaching others how to truly live. Please welcome me. And John Smith, if ever there was an individual expected to die, it was a boy who spent 15 minutes underwater. And there was a boy who spent an hour and eight minutes without breath. And yet I have the fortune of hanging out with him today and helping him and uh, freeing him to share a little bit of his life story and God's life story with a community longing for it. So John, with every guest, I invite them to answer seven questions that tie all of us together. We call them the Live Inspired Seven. Uh, so uh, you are joining the ranks now of great actors and authors and astronauts and people that I look up to. And no one's higher on that platform, John Smith, than you are right now. So John, what is the best book that you've ever read? The Bible. Is there a favorite book within it? I like the book of John personally. Why? You know, it's just, you know, it's Jesus's story. And, you know, that's, that's the one thing that really hits home. And I believe the word love shows up in that book more than any, any other, maybe even combined in all of scripture. What's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you possessed and exhibited as brilliantly today? You know, one thing characteristic for my whole family, I think we all represent it, is the, fam the love for family, that, that, that caring spirit, I should say. And, you know, just caring for each other and loving one, one another. And that's really when I just want to show my family when I have one. And, you know, what I show my family now and what I showed them as a kid is that we all care for each other. We all love each other. If your home caught fire and your family's out and your pets are out and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item that really matters to you, what, what's the one thing you would grab? There is a uh, picture of me and my dad um, where we were at the zoo uh, in front of that gorilla statue and I, he's pointing and I'm wearing this red um, snow cap because it was colder and he's wearing his Rams, the old St. Louis Rams pullover. And that, that picture really, you know, that, that just signifies our love for each other. And then also, you know, my mom has this picture book of, you know, all my baby pictures leading up, you know, from my adoption until a couple of years, you know, six or seven. I'd probably go get that as well. You have a third picture of you and two friends on the morning of January 19th standing on an ice taking a selfie. Is that a picture you actually put up somewhere? Is that a picture you try to delete from your memory? Um, you know, I don't try to delete it from my memory. It's definitely off my Instagram um, after the accident was uh, happened, you know, out of respect for the other two boys. But, uh, you know, I'll never forget that photo. Um, you know, that was a memorable day. And in my mind, it's not a day of terror. It's a day of God coming in and doing the impossible for the world to see. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a perfect beach on a gorgeous day, and you could sit next to anybody, living or dead, who would you want to be seated right next to? You know, um, probably my, my dad, you know, my parents more, to be more specific. You know, my mom and dad have always loved me and sacrificed so much for me, and, you know, they deserve to see that beautiful beach just like I do. What's the best advice that you've ever received? Probably from Devon Franklin, like I was saying earlier, is just to stay humble and stay hungry, remembering who you are, remembering where you come from, and remember where you want to go. Stay humble, stay hungry, remember where you came from, remember where you want to go, man. Put that on a t-shirt <laughs> and let's go. The, the next question applies to every single guest except for one that I've ever had on the show, and it does not apply to you. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to change the age on you. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? <laughs> Since we haven't yet made it, my friend— what would you tell your 14-year-old self, the little boy who has not yet fallen through the ice? You know, I'd tell him is that remain strong in your faith. You know, don't give up your faith. And remember that 
it may look bad now, but it'll get better. And to forgive your birth mom, because I promise you when you forgive her, you'll be just a weight, the weight of the world will be off your shoulders. John Smith, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? John Smith impacted the world for Christ. (laughs) Well, there it is in John Smith's words, but I don't think it's really his story. It's so much bigger than that. And John, you share it with such humility, such authenticity, such hunger with the desire to get nothing out of it for yourself. It is so attractive. It's so stirring. It moved me profoundly. And uh, I'm thinking today that you have stirred the thoughts, the souls, and the hearts of every single one of our listeners. I want to thank you for living. I want to thank you for not just enduring. I think most of us after an event endure. That's what animals do. Most of us fight. That's what, that's what we do. But very few of us thrive and surrender and choose joy afterwards. You, you have been choosing this. And I want to thank you for being an example to me. Thank you. And you were definitely an example to me, you know, watching that video about you and seeing your journey as well. You know, like I said, we have a lot more work to do before we're uh, called to heaven. Well, the work remains in front of all of us, my friends. This was an experience for you and I to hang out with someone I think we all today look up to. His name is John Smith. John, where can we learn more about the book and the movie? You know, you can go where we have an Instagram page, um, Breakthrough Movie. If you have any questions about me, I'm on Instagram. Uh, it's John A. Smith 25. And the only reason I'm plugging myself, because there are a lot of John Smiths out there, um, but that's all my handles. You know, you can find stuff about my life, you know, about the movie, um, Breakthrough Movie. My mom has a public page. Just look up Joy Smith. You know, we're not doing it, you know, to publicize ourselves. We're doing it to share the gospel and, you know, to share the word and to more importantly share Breakthrough, mm. what God did for us. Um, but you can find us all on any platforms of social media, and we thank you for, you know, in advance. Well, my friends, let the music begin playing. My name is John O'Leary. I was expected to die today. I try to encourage and inspire others to truly live, and yet I have an example seated right next to me of someone who is doing it beautifully. Uh, I think that is an invitation for each of us in our own lives, that regardless of what we've been through, the best is in front of us, but you got to sometimes stay humble and stay hungry for it. John Smith, thank you for the reminder. My friends, keep living it. So for this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. Well, all right, my friends, you enjoy today's show, then you will love our new Live Inspired Podcast playlist. These are the perfect way to navigate our more than 160 inspirational episodes. And here's how it works. Simply pick from categories that you most are interested by. They could include episodes that are most frequently listened to, family-friendly topics, guests who are living inspired despite cancer or illness, and so much more. Find these lists at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Again, to find these lists, go to johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. I'll see you there.